Welcome to Industry Vancouver, conversations about the residential real estate industry with Andrew Hasman and Jeff Bennett. Andrew, thank you for coming on today. We had uh, some announcements last week from the provincial government, Minister of Finance, Katrine Conroy, in the 2024 BC budget. Uh, I thought it'd be a good idea, and I like what you're thinking. Let's uh, let's uh, let's make some commentary. Let's have a conversation about these things. I think the three biggest items of note for the Vancouver real estate market: there's some new rental protection policies, a BC home flipping tax, and uh, some new exemption thresholds on the property transfer tax. So let's talk about, what do you want to talk about first? I wrote down uh, the rental policy changes and, you know, in the notes from the provincial government on the website, it says protecting renters by capping rent increases well below inflation, providing an annual $400 renters uh, tax credit, and making sure affordable rentals stay on the market through the rental protection fund. So you know what, I'm sympathetic to any government that does what they can to protect people that are, are you know, I mean, if you're seeing your your costs, your your rents going up astronomically, it's it, it, it's awful. You know, I, I can't, housing security is, is, a, is a major thing and it, it's a, a great contributor to, to quality of life. The challenge I've got here is that a lot of the research I've seen indicates that rent restrictions and rent caps actually create less liquidity in the market, diminish the mobility of tenants, and can actually have the effect of causing greater rent increases for some, and sometimes forcing reductions in maintenance, upgrades, and safety. Like, I don't have a good answer for what this is, but um, like I say, I'm, I'm glad it's not me that's trying to solve this problem. Yeah, no, it's definitely a tough, there's no question. I mean, affordability, affordability, I think. But, you know, on the other side of it, you know, we have a lot of clients that are investors and they just continue to sort of shake their heads at some of these policies because they're really, you know, it, it, on the other, the other side of the equation here is that you've got the investor that's taking all the risk that's, got you know, got to maintain the property, uh, increase property taxes. You know, property taxes have gone up, I think, about 9% this year. And they're going up again another 9% next year. You got the cost of insurance, which is soaring. I mean, I, I'm an investor myself, and we're just like blown away by the the increase in insurance premiums. And this, of course, is if you have no claims. We're still seeing massive insurance premium increases. And I'm actually surprised this hasn't become a bigger topic out there, but I think it will be. And then there's all the other, you know, it's all the maintenance. You own a property, and every time you call in a tradesperson, they apologize, but their their hourly rate's gone up from uh 75 to 85 bucks an hour like everything's gone up and so the the investor the, the the landlord of course who has to maintain the property to a certain standard has to keep the heat on cost of heat everything's gone up and at the same time they're dealing with you know rents that are you know that are of course the supply and demand every time a tenant moves out they can charge market rent but on the same time if you've got tenants that aren't moving out you're 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 stuck with rents that you can you know last year's rent increase was you know three and a half percent and then before that i think it was two and a half percent and the three years prior it was zero so it's there's two sides to this it's a it's a tough place uh 
that we're in. Um, and I do feel for the for the for the tenants, the 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 renters. There's no question. But the other side of it is, is the poor landlord that's having to you know maintain their properties with massive cost increases and the and, and no ability to really increase rents. Well, and 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 you hit on a good point there, and uh, I'll, I'll add to it. When you've got very low increases allowed, and the only option for a landlord to bring their rents up to market value is on the turnover of a tenant. If you're trapping a tenant in a property by not being able to afford uh, to move to another place because the, the rents are kept artificially low, it makes the difference in what they're moving out of to what they're moving to that much more dramatically undoable. And so one of the advantages of no rent controls and more liquidity to the market is that the, the actual market price of the rentals doesn't vary that much because whoever's paying market value on, on whatever the, the one bedroom that they're living in, if they need to move up to a two bedroom, it's not going to be a doubling or a tripling of the rent because they've 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 come on and the they're moving to another. Yeah. So and it it forces a very small inventory that's turned over to larger and larger rent increases and making more disparity between what the 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 market would be if it was in equilibrium versus what it is with all these rent controls in place. And, and of course, if you're a land, if you're a tenant and you're in a in a rental and the rent is say you know. 20, 30% below market, uh, which is not uncommon out there. There's really no motivation to move anyway. You're not moving. You know, if you've got to go from, you know, 1900 a month to 2700 a month, which might be a, a, a very typical scenario, you're, you're not moving. We've had clients that are flat investors and say, Andrew, you know what? We're getting out of the investment business here in BC. It's just too restrictive. The regulation's just crazy. Sell the property. Of course, when we sell... The investment property, of course, is a tenant in there. But, you know, there's a pretty good chance when that property sells, if it's a month-to-month tenancy, the buyer is actually going to want to move into the property. So now we're reducing the rental stock, right? And now you've got a, you've got someone moving in that's going to own or occupy. So you're right. I mean, a lot of this regulation has driven investors elsewhere, you know. Yes. Um, I'm not sure what it's like in Alberta because I don't own any rental property down there. But I know, like, down in the States – you know, the uh, especially in Arizona, it's a different world down there. I mean, there's just such less regulation. It's so much easier to be a landlord in in other jurisdictions. British Columbia is a tough place to be um, if you're a landlord and you want to keep keep up the pace with uh, with uh, costs and and you know managing your risk. It's it's tough up here. There's no question. You're uh, you know, uh, we looked at a property uh, about 18 months ago down in White Rock. There was a 10 suite apartment building and the rents were so ridiculously below market value. I said to the realtor, I said, you know, what's the turnover? He said, Andrew, no one's really moved out in years because uh, why would they look at the rents? And well, so it's, and they, Andrew, they can't because yeah. it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, why would you want to buy that property unless you're going to buy it and either do a massive renovation, a renoviction, which is not easy to do either, right? No. Or do you really want to get involved in that? Because you're going to be all over the news as someone that's, you know, you're, you're going to be uh, uh, a lot of negative publicity. So again, it's, it's, this is a difficult situation. We're in a, a the affordability crisis is definitely there. All this regulation, though, I agree, 
really, whenever you get government involved with all these regulations and rules and taxes, never usually ends well. That's my feeling. You're 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 messing with the free market forces, right? So exactly. Right. Uh, and to that end, let let's talk about the BC home flipping tax. You know, uh, another uh, note from the uh, the the provincial government. To make sure housing is used as homes for people, starting in 2025, the province is introducing a property flipping tax to further crack down on speculators and those driving up the cost of housing. Now, cancer doesn't cause smoking. House flipping doesn't cause prices to go up. It's symptomatic of rising prices. So, I mean, there's a big list of exemptions on this, uh, excluding a lot of almost everybody, yeah. except for the folks who buy homes, take a risk through their creativity, efforts, and expense, add back a better quality uh, home, an additional home, uh, additional rental stock, whatever it is, sometimes at a profit. I mean, I, I've worked with a number of clients and you know the first or second time a lot of times they do these they they end up breaking even or sometimes take a little loss it's 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 not a license to print money and in doing that it does seem to be with this take on it that they're being actively discouraged so i i think and and i'm in agreement i i think with the with the real estate board that that expanding the supply of homes, expanding the supply of good homes, safe homes, affordable homes to, to, to live in. Why would you want to do anything to discourage that? Yeah, I know. To me, it, again, doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, a lot of times these home, if you want to call them home flippers, they bought a home or a property that's in distress. It's probably in many cases not livable or no one, no one would want to live in it in its current state. The average person out there uh, doesn't do renovations. It's it's beyond what they can do. So it requires like a contractor to come in and buy the property that can do it with their own labor at uh, not having to pay someone to do it. Um, and we have clients like that, you and I, absolutely. They're, they, you know, they're not the average Joe on the street and they're adding value. They're taking a property that's in, you know, that's, that's uh, old inside. It's uh, things aren't working. It's not really inhabitable. Or, or, or no one would want to live there. And they're turning it into a very saleable, beautifully renovated property. And so all of a sudden they've added all this value, they put it back on the market and there's all this demand for it. But you're right, uh, in many cases, um, especially in rising interest rates, uh, some of these, these builders slash investors, contractors, whatever you want to call them, uh, there's no guarantee they're going to make any money. They're taking a risk. They're taking all the risk. Um, yeah. uh, but they put their creativity to work. They renovate and then they put it back on the market. Now the government, uh, and of course, even before this 20% uh, flipping tax, you still pay tax on these. If you make money and it's in, for investment, you're still, you're either, it's either capital gains or it's probably a, a tax. It's an increase in, it's declared as income. So the, the government's now saying, but we want another tax on top of that, right? Uh, and so, um, yeah, I think it's just discouraging uh, someone that wants to, uh, uh, that maybe does this for a living, where they buy distressed properties, fix them up, put them back out at market value. Now they've got to look at their bottom line carefully because all of a sudden there's now another tax on top of other taxes. Yeah, I mean their their risk is increased, and it, it just it just seems like it's actually a step in the wrong direction. I mean, yeah. 
I'm trying to imagine people who are buying and selling houses as a commodity, like a, a, a share in a company or or a stock or you know soybeans or whatever. And you know, with the vacancy taxes, the the underutilized housing taxes, with the empty homes taxes, I haven't met anybody for years that's actually carrying or buying uh, an empty home, and they're 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 thinking not to do something with it. I mean, as near as I can tell. The ones that are out there that own, let's say, an additional property or or uh, additional suite, they've got them rented. There's somebody in there. And if yeah. something comes on the market that is, as you say, a lot of deferred maintenance, terrible condition, not habitable, what's the matter with encouraging somebody to yeah. fix it up at probably a much less cost than, I mean, for sure that I could you do. And I. And, Absolutely. And, yeah. and keep in mind. There's still there's still a tax on those. You know, we, we've got I've got a client. You know who it is, and that's all he does for a living. And so when he uh, flips, if you want to call it flips or resells the property, he makes a profit. It's investment, so his profit a CRA declare that as uh, income, business income, not a capital gain. So it's fully taxable. He pays his tax. Now the provincial government stepping in and saying, we also want to take a cut. We're going to take twenty percent of the lift. Uh, to us. So this is a tax on top of the already existing tax. Where I think it's also, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting is, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, but as I understand it, you buy a house, um, you move in, maybe you do some renos, maybe it's not a typical sort of, you know, uh, a a flip, but whatever. And uh, 18 months later, you go to sell it, but it's your principal residence. I believe this tax applies to that as well. If you sell it within the two-year period, am I correct? I believe that is right. So yeah. once again, uh, it, it, we'll go back and look at the legislation. But yeah. uh, if if that is the case, and I believe it is, it, once again, it's just discouraging an increase in the housing supply. Yeah. And it, to me, that's just it's it's not the way forward. I mean, it's it's like holding back the ocean. Like, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's also it's also creating uncertainty because I know there's going to be exemptions, but let's talk about the principal residence thing. Of course, principal residents were basically, you know, they were the government couldn't touch us on our principal residence. This was a tax exempt, uh, um, whatever you want to call it, our, our tax exempt principal residence couldn't tax us. But now, provincial government's stepping in and saying, but if you buy a principal residence and you sell it within two years, yes, there's going to be exemptions. But you could be subject to a 20% tax on any gain of selling that within two years. And again, maybe you're selling it because you're being relocated or something's happened in the family that's, you know, cause creating a, uh, a move. So maybe you're exempt, maybe you're not. But just a simple fact that there might be a tax, maybe there won't be, creates uncertainty. And so that uncertainty causes people to think, hang on a sec, hmm, I got to really be careful about whether I'm going to make this purchase or not. Maybe I'll just continue to rent, putting more upward pressure on the rental market. Like there's again, you're 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 doing things that have other you know, have uh, impacts with it elsewhere, right? Which again upsets the natural balance of the market and uh, creates uncertainty. And I think anytime there's uncertainty, it drives money into a different in in a different direction, or drives capital into a different direction. That's right. Right. Uh- and actually, one of the things that that I think there's so many frictional costs with real estate. I, I didn't even know how big um, 
this this group is that that they're saying is is buying and flipping homes or whatever they're. I think it, I think it's like, negligible. But, I think it's negligible, especially now with high interest rates. Property prices are fairly stable. Um, uh, but I think the big thing is, you know, the carrying cost when you're doing these renovations and this and that is additional risk right now. So I think it is a very negligible amount of, of, of people out in the marketplace. But still, it creates another level of uncertainty. It's another taxation. It's another reason to say, you know what, I'm not going to invest there. I'm going to go somewhere else where I don't have to deal with this. Right. Yes. Because capital will go to where it, it, it's it's more it, it's it's easier to make uh a decision without having these uncertainties and these uncertainties drive capital away. So that's that's my read on it. Every time there's, there's additional layers of tax, a different additional layers of regulation, it just drives capital away. That's my feeling. That's a great segue to uh, some reduction in tax. <laughs> <laughs> so, that never happens. No, no, listen, it did uh, regarding the property transfer tax. Oh, yeah. Okay, fair it, enough. Once again, so uh, qualifying first time buyers can benefit when they purchase a home worth up to $835,000 with the first $500,000 completely exempt from the property transfer tax. So uh, this could be as much as $8,000 in savings. People buying newly built homes worth up to 1.1 million will also see lower costs through the newly built home exemption. So I'm not 100% certain if this actually increases affordability. You know, uh, a 1% reduction at the time of purchase, certainly great. Uh, I did go and do a little bit of research, and in the province's budget and fiscal plan, expectations are for this year just over $2 billion coming in, in the, um, from the uh, property transfer tax. And next year, they're looking at just over $2.25 billion. Now, they're saying an estimated 14,500 people, twice as many as before, will now be eligible for support to buy their first home. Great. Helping them move out of the rental market, also good, and freeing up rentals for others. Excellent. But let's assume that every single one of those 7,250 buyers got the whole $8,000 benefit. That equals $58 million or a little less than 3% of the $2 billion collected. I also know that they're expecting around 10% more next year. So I'm not sure if this does help. Does it allow prices just simply to rise another 1%? Does it uh, actually put more fuel on the fire because the buyers don't have to come up with this lump sum cost? They can just finance the additional price by rolling it into their mortgage? Once again, I just don't know. Like I, I, I'm sympathetic to any government. I, I think that it's, it's a Herculean task to try and increase affordability. And Vancouver's a great place to live. Yeah. And it's always been expensive. You know, affordability maybe means that there's different options available for people where they can live and make a trade-off about what they can live in. But trying to restrict demand uh, you know, some of these other issues, it could be like, as I said before, trying to hold back the ocean. 
Yeah, you know, I, I don't see it. I think, and right now the market, we were talking about this earlier, Jeff. Um, I think the area of the market that's busy right now is the lower end of the market, say under a million. That's where all the act, that's where a lot of the activity is right now. Affordable. If you've got a, if you list a condo for six, seven hundred thousand and it's priced correctly, there's a slew of buyers out there looking, all circulating. So all of a sudden, if you if you give these buyers a tax credit or a tax relief or whatever, uh, you've helped them out a little bit. So all of a sudden now they may have a bit more money to buy. Probably increases demand a little bit, and maybe it pushes up prices. So you know, is it is it going to really make a difference? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it's going to make um, anything that's going to really move the needle at the end of the day. I think that you've got so many people already circulating. All of a sudden now, if you give them uh, some tax relief, just gives them more money and it creates more demand and probably pushes prices up. So I think at the end of the day, I don't think so. I think you're right. Uh, I think other options out there to, I think, you know, creating more density, building more units. But again, that's another uh, not so easy thing to uh, Herculean task because we just don't have we can't build it fast enough based on the amount of immigration that's coming in and the amount of, the amount of demand in the marketplace. So I think there's no easy solution here. I don't think it's going to really move the needle. And as you know, a million dollars in Vancouver is just strictly the very lower end of the market. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's where you're trying to help. Maybe there's a bit of relief, but at the end of the day, again, yeah, mortgage rates are dramatically higher than they were two years ago. So that's the other side. You know, it's, it's uh, carrying a mortgage today is much more expensive than it was 18 months, two years ago. So and of course, if interest rates start to come down a bit, which they're supposed to do later this year, no one knows, but maybe they will. All of a sudden, now it's going to fuel the fire and, and, and fuel the market at that low end. So at the end of the day, is it going to make it more affordable? You know, my hunch is no. Yeah, I, I, I think the real path forward to more affordable, which, you know, affordability is a term that gets thrown around a lot. And, and I don't think anybody's expectations are that everybody's going to be able to experience prices coming down to the point where whoever wants to can buy a, you know, an acre lot in Shaughnessy. I, I think it just needs to be that there's more options out there, more supply, that sort of thing. You know, I, the development of the Jericho and Burrard sites, long overdue. Yeah. You know, more density means more services, more amenities, more convenience, you know, parks and green also spaces. But it's years away, Jeff. I mean, how many years is it going to be between before the first units in the Jericho lands are going to be offered for sale? I mean, how many, what, what year are we talking about? I mean, this is years away. Yeah. What are the solutions? Five, five to ten, the, probably, right? Yeah. You and I might be retired by then. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's years away. What's happening? What's going to happen in the next six to 12 months, right? I mean, we were out looking at a project last week. Uh, out in uh, Surrey, near Surrey, Surrey City Center, which is just booming out there. Hadn't been out, wanted to take a look to see what was going on out there. Yeah. Pacific, they're building a new, uh, there's a new pre-sale out there called Piano. And they are offering um, two bedroom, two bathroom, 550 square foot units. So 550 square feet, two bedroom, two bathroom units to keep the price down, right? I mean, these units are, I think they're in the, uh, very low sevens for mm -hmm. a two, two bathroom, brand new buildings, got all the amenities, this and that. So that goes to your point of, you know, being more creative, offering smaller units to, to keep the price down. But at the end of the day, the land cost is what it is. I don't think it's going any lower. I think you've got so much 
demand in this part of the world, all the immigration, the people that are moving here, we have limited land. We've, we've had this conversation before that over the stretch of 10, 15, 20 years, prices are going to just gonna continue to trend higher. And if you want to live in this part of the world, it's an expensive place to live. It is what it is. Yeah. I, right? I, I look at it too. And, and from the place of trying to solve the issues, you know, and I'm politically agnostic on this, but it seems that one of the requirements of remaining in power for any party, whoever it is, you know, provincially, federally, municip municipally, solving the affordability of housing problems, it, that's paramount. I'm also aware that making some of the changes that would actually make a dent can be quite costly political. Yeah. You know, Increasing density, simplifying zoning changes, making investment to increase the housing supply more attractive. Like these are all great things that 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 could go a long way to putting a big dent. But politically, they're they're a hotbed. It's it's a lot easier to say, oh, those awful speculators, oh, those terrible landlords, when really they're actually the ones that are going to be most helpful in solving some of these and the ones that have the capital they're the ones that are putting up the, that are taking the risk and if you take away the incentive what's the point yeah you go elsewhere right yeah yeah exactly. easier said than done yeah absolutely and yeah. problems what's the, the expression these are problems above my pay grade that's right <laughs> that's my word as realtors that's right uh and uh to that end we're uh we're obviously not uh, tax uh, authorities or, uh, uh, you know, financial planners. So uh, as far as real estate goes, we're happy to help and offer our expertise in that matter. But uh, for anything else, you know, talk to your lawyer, talk to your accountant, talk to your, you know, specialized advisor, and uh, we're, uh, we're happy to help and work with them. And hopefully they've got the answer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jeff, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Um, I think next time we're going to talk a little bit about um, multi-generational living and ownership. Okay. Okay. Thanks for tuning in today. We appreciate your time and your attention. If we can be of further help or information, we look forward to hearing from you. We respectfully acknowledge that we live, work, and play on the traditional territories of the Coast Salish people, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations.